Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Today's episode is brought to you by Mahina Offshore Services, which is the company run by John Neal, who has been a guest on the podcast many times before. Mahina Offshore Services offers three ways to help you get started with a sailing lifestyle. There's ocean sail training expeditions in many places around the world, boat selection consultation if you are planning on boat shopping, and last but not least, a virtual offshore cruising seminar which is a great resource you can do at your own pace from the comfort of your couch. And you can learn more about all of these and also some free resources on the website mahina.com. Here's what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. As a solo sail, either you sail short or you sail really long. Short is a lot of work. That's a lot of sails coming up and this and that, whatever, on your own or whatever. I'm not a day sailor, and I'm certainly not a 24-hour sailor. I really don't like the 24-hour sails. 24 hours means that you're reasonably close to land most of the time. It also means that you're not tired enough to sleep. So the trick is um, leave shore as soon as you can, sail in open waters. Land brings no good thing to a solo sailor. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In today's episode, I interview a solo sailor, Thomas Furling, who has been sailing solo for years in the Mediterranean and who is currently crossing the Pacific as this recording comes out. We discuss the challenges and rewards of solo sailing, including sailing at night and managing other risk factors. 
Thomas also shares his reasons for sailing solo and provides valuable tips for aspiring solo sailors. If you are interested in solo sailing or simply want to hear about the experiences of a seasoned sailor, this episode is for you. Join me as I delve into the world and philosophy of solo sailing. Here we go with Thomas. You're in Panama right now, but tell me a little bit about your journey there and how long have you been sailing and, you know, making your way to Panama? I mean, sailing I've been doing all my life. So um, parents and uh, them on my own and this is my eighth boat, I think. Um, so that I've always... And I I left, so I bought this boat in 2010, uh, new, back in Sweden, with the thought of doing something grander, I guess, than just sailing around it back in, in Sweden. And, and, and uh, three years later, so 2013, I left Sweden. Still working, so using my summer vacations and uh, family, and we sailed to uh, Croatia over, and so by Gibraltar with family, uh, took about four years to get there, so basically a month, a month a year, and then, uh, then I kept the boat in Croatia for three years. My parents have a house there, so it was moored out their house, and in 2019, I uh, started, I guess, and left uh, Croatia, sailed to Italy. Then COVID struck and uh, I had to leave the boat in, in, in Italy. Uh, went back home and worked a bit. And uh, since about two years of early 2020, I moved on to the boat uh, full time. Uh, still landlocked or still at the dock in Italy uh, and as soon as basically the world opened up I, I, I got going. Uh, started west, uh, crossed the Atlantic late um, 2021, arrived in Martinique uh, from the Canaries in, on New Year's Eve actually, on uh, you know, fell asleep before midnight. Uh, in Martinique, first near a mist, uh, uh, and then um, uh, then I've been hanging around the Caribbean before I... Uh, so I've spent the hurricane season in Grenada, moved north via Dominican Republic and came down here. So and here is in Panama, right next to the canal entrance to the Panama Canal, uh, and I'm doing... It's like base camp here, essentially, or... Uh, we're all preparing and, and waiting to get the canal crossing and then uh, then the big leap. Yeah, and then on from there. Wow, yeah, so that's, you know, several years in the Mediterranean and before that in Europe and then a year in uh, Caribbean already. Are you approaching this as a circumnavigation and are you just kind of going as, as long as it's fun and you'll see how far you go or do you have an actual goal of completing a circumnavigation? I absolutely do. I, I will circumnavigate. There's, there's no doubt about that. I think... I'm not really a holiday sailor, sort of, uh, that I need a purpose, I think. So I know I have a, never really liked the thought of, of even doing my, my years back in Sweden, where you kind of set off and, and go somewhere and then uh, go back to where you started from. I, 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 you know, I will eventually get back, but it'll be around the world instead, you know. So, uh, no, I don't, I don't, um, I need, I need a destination. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. There needs to be a goal and uh, no change in direction. Just keep going. Yeah, you go west. Eventually, you'll be there, you know. You'll be back. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. 
Well, you said you bought your boat new in in Sweden in 2010. What kind of boat is it?、Uh, is it, it? It's a little racier than most cruisers. It's a Du 440E Performance. If you want the whole name of it, it's a 40 footer, but it's quite quick. It carries more sail than than I've needed up until now. So basically, I sail most of the time with the、uh, two reefs in the main and the、uh, and the full Genoa, maybe. Right, well, I guess that'll be different going across the Pacific, where it's, it's traditionally lighter wind. So I may actually have some advantage there in the sail area. It's quick. It's flat bottomed. It means that it surfs well. It means that it doesn't steer itself very well. So it's it's. But it is what it is. You got the boat you have.、Uh, I think a lot of people I meet、uh, hang around and think of. The next boat and the next boat and the next boat. At this stage, most of us have invested more than more than we can ever recover in our boats because it's no longer really a holiday boat. It's a full time liveaboard thing with that makes its own water, makes its own electricity. I think my advice to people would be to stop dreaming of other boats and just get on with the one they have. You know. Yeah.、Uh, so no, I'm very happy with it.、Uh, I like that it's quick, but it also means things like I have a. Main sheet right through the cockpit, the center of the cockpit, rather than in front of a, a spray hood, which kind of means it's a little difficult to have、uh, some protection where you're sailing、uh, over the cockpit area because the main sheet is right across there. But then again, all boats are compromises. It's、uh, you can have、um, a self-steering long-keeled one, but you know the drawback with that would be you'd be slower. Exactly, and it's all about choosing what works best for you and and your goals and your style of sailing. So,、um, speaking of which, you are sailing a lot by yourself, and have you done any modifications to the boat with that in mind,、uh, with like solo sailing in mind operationally, if you will? I mean, modifications. I've done. I mean, this is an entirely different boat than the one I bought.、Uh, so yes, with solo sailing in mind. I have remote controls for everything,、uh, like windlass and autopilot and that sort of stuff. So I can I can control the boat irrespective of where I am on the boat.、Uh, I guess that's something I wouldn't have done if I wasn't alone. I have、um, panels like navigation systems that I can actually see from different parts of the world, boat, not just at the helm. I guess that's nice when you're downstairs. I have more spare parts maybe than most people would because I have to be able to、uh, the most most. Scary thing is probably the outward, the autopilot, and the self steering. Particularly as I'm as I'm going into the Pacific now, I think I have, I can rebuild the autopilot I have, and I have a whole new one <laughs> on the boat. So, oh wow!、Uh, well,、okay. that's one thing that scares me. So、uh, that's probably I wouldn't have done that if I had、uh, somebody else on the boat that could help me steer. Other than that, I I wish I had something that helped me be able to climb a mast on my own. I don't yet. So if anything happens up there, I'll be in trouble, I guess.、Uh, so I'm looking at some form of mountain climbing gear or, or whatever to to be able to do that. Other than that, anything particularly with solo sailing in mind? Not really. I think I think the risks, the hazards, and everything is the same almost. Yeah, a lot of it is. Yeah, risk management, I guess. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think. Through most of my sailing, I've sailed. Whenever I've sailed with crew, they've been either inexperienced or they've been they haven't had experience with my boat, which means, you know, 
if any any of my previous crew hears this, I'm not saying they weren't of help. I'm just saying uh, most of the responsi responsibility was lying with me anyway, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure I feel that different sailing alone as I would, uh, as I have, you know, when I've had other people with me. That makes sense? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask you, is there something you find more challenging when you are by yourself? Because obviously you have had a crew on board and, you know, friends and family and all that. But obviously the responsibility is always, uh, you know, on the shoulders of the captain. Yes. Which is you, regardless of how many people yes. are on board. <laughs> I mean, there are when things go wrong, clearly you'd like to have. The, so when things are OK, uh, it's great to be alone, actually. And when I'm saying going wrong, I mean, there, there's a bunch of things that I don't want to happen. I don't want to get caught in a fishing net and have to dive under the boat myself. Probably one of the things that scare me the most. I think when there's traffic, fortunately, there's a lot, lot less traffic here, which is surprising, I think, bearing in mind that I'm lying right next to the largest shipping channel in the world. But I think the traffic I saw on you know the atlantic coast of europe and certainly in the mediterranean was much worse than it is here so i think i think solo sailing is easier here actually so uh things breaking fixing things on your own you've got a screw on the outside and a bolt on the inside and you wish you had another hand on the outside or inside to help you uh, tighten that those are the times other than that I don't. I'm, I'm. I guess I'm used to it. You know. I don't know. Uh, it's. Uh, it doesn't scare me. Yeah, and, and then you said you're used to it. So have you been mostly by yourself sailing-wise uh, since you left in uh, 2020? -ish? Yeah. Well, when I left in 2020, when I left 20, Italy in 2020, I went on my own to Mallorca. Then my son joined me. My youngest son joined me from Mallorca to, to the Canaries. So that's about a thousand miles. He left me and turned up with two mates. Uh, so I had three 20-year-olds and myself across the Atlantic, which is great. They were fun. They were helpful. But they were also a responsibility, I guess. So I crossed the Atlantic with, we were, uh, were four of us then. Since then, I've been alone, sailing alone. So I did a lot of solo sailing in the Mediterranean and a lot over here. And there's going to be a lot more going forward. Yeah, it's interesting that you said it's uh, solo sailing is a little bit easier in the Caribbean with maybe less people and less traffic and, and for all the weather is a little more consistent there as well or the winds. What's your plan now for the Pacific? Are you planning on doing that by yourself or are you taking uh, some helpful souls on board? I, I, I could. So I have people who want to try it, but I'm going uh, to do this on my own. I um, And it's not a quest uh, as such. It's more that I... I I'd like to. So I'm I'm uh, I'm going to do this one on my own. So that's going to be a month on my own. I had a little um, test run down here. So I had uh, uh, seven days from Dominican Republic here. And I had some issues, but I still enjoyed it. So I, I, uh, I'm i pretty confident. Uh, and I, I mean, the next leg is going to be much, much, much easier than the one from Dominican Republic to here. So I... I um, no, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to get some help in a, in a couple of days while well, my parents are coming over to help me through the canal. But uh, other than that, they're certainly not going to go 30 days with me. Uh, I don't think that'll be healthy. For, I don't think that'll be healthy for anyone. It'll be two captain on a boat. That wouldn't be good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that might be a little too many, too many people. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we were talking earlier that we're both Scandinavian and uh, generally Scandinavians tend to be 
you know, at least they're typically quite introverted, happy to be by ourselves, at least as Finns. And I've uh, talked to a couple other people who are preparing for circumnavigation. And I've asked them, well, how do you feel about being alone for such a long time? And interestingly, most people have said, like, I can't wait. I hate people. <laughs> so what's your take on that? Are you looking forward to some alone time? Well, I don't know if I, how I can describe it, but I mean, I'm certainly not an introvert. I love the cruising society, meeting people and doing all this or whatever. But I also do like to be alone. During the seven days I settled down here, uh, I actually anchored for two days before I came into the marina and just spent fixing the boat and myself and everything before. So I guess that was a sign that I enjoyed being myself. That, you get a bit loopy, you start talking to birds and, 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 and things that, uh, you know, so I'm not... not I'm not sure how healthy I'll get in after a month at sea on my own. We'll we'll see. I almost feel sorry for the poor souls that are going to meet me on an anchorage, you know, socially starved and and uh, probably talk their ears off. But I'm I find this mix really works for me. Uh, some time on my own, and uh, then you come in and and you're social. Here I'm social. I know everyone on the dock here probably, but in a couple of weeks it'll be me only. I also find, I mean, I have a satellite communication system, so I can I talk to people and chat to people, and that sort of stuff keeps me uh, motivated as well. But every time I go, I download films, and I do all sorts of things. And at the end of the day, when I end up at the other end, I haven't watched a single one. So I don't know. You go into some form of cocoon, you're, you're, you know, it's almost like you just remove yourself from the planet for for a week or two or three or whatever it is, and when you get in, it's hard to remember what actually happened. Uh, I don't know. It's some sort of meditative thing that probably is very good for me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it might be Yeah, good to take some time and just think about life and then emerge a few weeks later. It's like, oh, yes, I, I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, you almost need... Uh, yeah, I, you just totally focus on what you're doing and where you're going, and there's no disturbance, there's no nothing... You're on all the time. You're at night. You're sailing with your ears and and the motion, the feeling of the motion of the boat. So there's um, even when you sleep, you're 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 on watch. You know. Uh, so it's a uh, I don't know. It's just it's just a total focus, which I guess marathon runners or somebody climbing a mountain or whatever you're doing have to have as well. Yeah, that's that's my take on it. But I'll write a book about that one day. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There you go. Start drafting your, your scripts uh, for the book. Yeah, I'm working on. <laughs> I'm working. I, I'm working on what happens to me when I do that. But we'll see. <laughs> oh, that that would be fun to read. Um, so, how are you preparing otherwise for the big crossing? Have you hauled out your boat at all since you left, or is there any boat work to be done? Of course, always. But you know, anything big. <laughs> I hauled out in Grenada. I got a whole host of things done in Grenada. Actually, the, the last I've spent a fortune on the boat in the last those two years, um, in the last two years, as I should say. But in in Martinique, I had all my standing rigging changed. In Grenada, I had all my through holes changed. Uh, I've had the engine out. I've had uh, just numerous things. Uh, so the boat, fortunately, has lots of wood here. is is in pretty good condition. It's in better condition than it's ever been here. Largely, I've been buying spare parts. Is the honest answer. This is my last address I'll have for many, many for a long, long time. 
So here I've been buying all sorts of spare parts that I wish I never uh, have to use. Autopilot stuff, alternator, starter motor, all, all, you know, all sorts of stuff that would be hard to get uh, in, in the middle of nowhere, basically. Right now, it's just finding, I'm spending the time trying to find the, where to put all that shit <laughs> and, and, and uh, clean my boat up so my parents don't get too worried when they get it. It looks like a crack house right now, but... <laughs> Yeah, is they going to tidy up uh, when they come for the crossing or for the Panama Canal? Yeah, this would worry them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, you're okay, so you have to do some cleaning. I, that's why I do so restoring things because I'm gonna. Well, there's gonna be five. I mean, four. My two parents, my parents, and 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 uh, two line handlers sleeping on the boat. So that's a little different from uh, me being sold and I can just store things wherever I want to. So, so I think I'm preparing the boat to be a hostel of some sort. Yeah, exactly. That is a lot of people. Yeah, I've heard that uh, there is some sort of, um, you know, a fair bit of, I guess, paperwork, logistics uh, to be done for the, the Panama Canal. And then you need those line handlers or a certain number of them as well. I, I've done that also. I mean, I've been here for six weeks now, and I think most people are here for quite a while. So yeah, I've gone through all the paperwork with the Panama Canal, agent measuring or whatever it is, and, and making sure they believe that I can safely move through the canal yeah so there, there's been a lot of things but you almost forget when this you're ticking off lists here exactly and uh did you say that you used an agent uh to sort you or help you sort through that yeah i have an agent here i think uh, it makes it easier you can do it yourself but that means that you need to understand the system and run around the place that i didn't feel like that uh so i've used an agent I have um, been doing all the communication and running around with my passport to places I don't, you know, want to go. He also makes sure the money money ends up in the right hands and, and all of that. So yes, and he, ha he arranges line handlers, and you need really long lines and fenders and other sorts of stuff to go through the canal. So he arranges that. So I I thought it was well spent money. I hear others that do it themselves. You know, if I had that time, I'd do something else instead. So, no, I, I've used an agent. Yeah, that makes sense to me as well. At least then you know that you've got all the papers and paperwork and, and whatever payments that are required so that there are no last-minute surprises. Like, oh, you didn't fill out this it, form. Exactly, and it's all in Spanish. And, and nobody, I thought, yeah, so it, it, it was, a, I don't regret using an agent, no. Yeah, that's perfect. You mentioned uh, earlier a little bit about uh, sailing at nighttime and how you kind of are, are always alert and kind of sailing with your ears. I wanted to ask you about your first night sail experience by yourself. Wh where was that uh, in your journey? I was two days, 48 hours roughly between Greece, Sakintos and Sicily in Italy. Right. And how was that? It was one day of a lot of wind and one day with no wind. I... I, I can't say that it was a milestone or anything like that or whatever in terms of I, I, it was, actually, it was what I expected, which I guess is a good thing. And I think actually most things have been as I expected uh, up until now. I mean, that doesn't mean that I haven't had nasty weather and, and nasty situations or whatever, but I mean, I don't think... That it was that special. It was in the middle. I mean, you go via the foot of of, of uh, Italy. You kind of need to watch out for some some um, oil rigs and stuff down there. Other than that, it was very little traffic and very easy. I felt. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And did you find that you're, you can easily just kind of not switch off, but at least get some rest and then still be in that sort of getting rest, but also kind of ready to be alert if needed? Or did that take some getting used to? I know how to do this now, I think. As a solo sail, either you sail short or you sail really long. Short is over a day. Short is a lot of work. That's a lot of sails coming up and this and that, whatever, on your own or whatever. So I don't not. I'm not a day sailor, and I'm certainly not a 24-hour sailor. I really don't like the 24-hour sails. 24 hours means that you're reasonably close to land most of the time. It also means that you're not tired enough to sleep. When a boat moves around, you need to be tired enough to sleep. Otherwise, basically, there's too much commotion, too much noise, too much sound, too much. So I find anywhere north of um, two days is great. I don't think I've ever actually... This is strange to say. I don't think I've come ashore and wish or sailed and I wish I was there earlier than I was. Most of the time it's the other way around, you know, primarily because it's dark and you don't want to get in and basically you hang around outside for a while. But other than that, I've not really felt I wish I, wish I was there. 24 hours and up is perfect. 24 hours means over 24 hours, I should say. 24 hours is bad because you 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 arrive wrecked really really tired you haven't slept for 24 hours you come in and anchor you just want to go to bed when i've sailed more than that so basically say if i leave in the morning i start sleeping i start getting i start sleeping at at dawn most of the time so four five six in the morning until 12 i sleep great not solidly of course i sleep an hour at a time probably six hours and eight or something like that, which is enough for me, I find. And that works really well for me, and then I'm okay for the, until the next day. And that kind of means that I'm a right, I aim to arrive like lunchtime, going to be, uh, I have time on either side, and I, I will arrive rested. So that's kind of how I do things. I sleep maybe 45 minutes total, no more. You can see a vessel pretty much all the time at 20, 20 nautical miles distance, at, at least. Either by, you know, the naked eye or by AIS, which you're going to see a lot, lot further. Even if they were aiming for me, no vessel really moves quicker than 13 uh, knots or something like that. That's pretty much the cruising speed of any cargo vessel or any cruiser ship or anything like that. I'm going to go seven knots. They're going to go 13 knots against me. That kind of means that i got an hour. Uh, and if I'm up after 45 minutes, I should be. Now, that works perfectly when there's no traffic. That doesn't work so well when you go through Gibraltar or the English Channel or even get close to something like this, the Panama Canal. And it 
also requires other boats to want to be seen. My only scary moments have probably all involved fishermen. As much as I like to eat fish, they don't really want to know. They want other, they don't want others to know where they're fishing. So they have a habit of turning off their AIS, turning off navigation lights, and drive by their depth sounder or their fish finders and suddenly turn 90 degrees towards you or, or trawling a big net behind them and uh, that isn't lit. So fishermen scares the living day daylight out of me. But So the trick is um, leave shore as soon as you can, sail in open waters, Land brings no good thing to a solo sailor. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, that makes sense, though, because I completely understand that need to be gone for over 24 hours to get into that rhythm. Interesting to hear about the sort of what you see as sort of risks, like the fishermen that are, you know, you can't see them running into fishing nets, obviously don't want to do that as a solo sailor, because that's, that's a lot of trouble uh, to try to get out of that. Now... Is there anything else that kind of worries you? Obviously, things like, you know, things breaking, but in terms of the that area where you're now in the Caribbean or going into the Pacific, is there anything that worries you otherwise? I know that Panama has a bit of a reputation for thunder and lightning. Yeah, I really don't want that. I mean, I, I wrote a piece uh, recently on, on threats to a risk for a solo sailor. I think most of them are the same for, you know, whether you had a crew or not consequence may be a little different lightning is certainly one of them i mean we're so dependent on all our systems today to be able to steer the boat to be able to know where we are to know be able to i mean my lithium batteries on the boat have all sorts of electronics you know there's no way they'll survive a lightning strike you'd have no power you'd have no electronics you'd have no and that's only the electronics i mean obviously a lightning strike can do all sorts of damage to the boat on top of that. So no, lightning is, is I want to get the hell out of here before their, their lightning season. Well, this is, this is the dry season here, which means probably 90% humidity, by the way. <laughs> I don't want to be here for the, for the, for the rainy season. This is probably one of the most lightning prone areas on the planet. So no, I, I don't want to experience that. Lightning is one of them. Breaking down systems, Autopilot is probably, for a solo sailor, the autopilot is, is uh, number one. That really can't fail, which is why I've got spare parts galore for that thing. I don't want to injure myself. I don't want to break a leg. I don't want to do that sort of stuff. So you need to watch it as you move around the boat, which is easy to say, harder to do, particularly when you're tired. What else can I say, though? I come back to fishing nets. Probably, probably the closest calls every sailor I've had where you just sort of run right next to a, a fishing net and you say, whoa, I didn't see that one, you know? And I don't want to even think of diving under the boat, trying to free myself as the boat is banging up and down and, and you're trying not to get hit in the head. I don't think there's a good strategy for that, actually. And I don't know, I don't know you can plan. I don't think there is a good strategy for that. So I don't, that just can't happen, which is mostly worrying, mostly worrying when you're, when you're running the engine. Exactly, exactly. And I suppose once you get further into, say, the Pacific, there aren't going to be any fishermen out there, hopefully. I didn't know. Not, well, not as long as you don't get into sort of Southeast Asia and that sort of stuff. But here, here, no. I mean, actually, the next leg or that leg doesn't scare me at all, really. I mean, it's called the Pacific for a reason. I think, I think it's just the sheer distance, you know. And and uh, I'm not, so I'm not worried about like rig failure. 
is and that sort of stuff, whatever. It's it'll be the autopilot will be the main thing on that thing because just steering for like weeks and weeks uh, on your own is just physically not possible for anyone. I guess, I guess you'd be like Contiki, you just uh, float with the current, and eventually you get there. You know, eventually the currents will take. Yeah, you. eventually you get where you'll always get to where you want to if you sail west. You know, uh, just you know, you don't want to spend three or four months doing it. You know, but I, I. Um, Autopilot, that's what scares me, I guess, on that trip. Yeah, exactly. Well, you said you are well prepared with spare parts and a whole new unit uh, in case it really goes south uh, there. So that, that's Yeah, good. but I can fix the mechanics. If something happens with the electronics of it, I don't think there's many people that can fix that themselves. So there are parts of the autopilot that I can't fix. And there's, you know, there's a risk crossing the road. There's a risk doing this. There's a, you know, it's... Uh, It's, some things are just, uh, it is what it is. Yeah, no, I think you you said it well earlier when you said that uh, the risks are mostly the same, whether there's crew or not. It's just the consequences are a little different. Yeah, I think I think so. So, you know, and you see, we all, we all spend so much time focusing on our boats. I mean, my boat's, you know, been insured all the time, is looked after all this time. I'm not sure I'm looking after myself as well as the boat. And I'm certainly, I only got insurance for myself a couple of months ago. So, you know, I, I think maybe, maybe I need to, and I don't know how many times I've injured myself on the boat. So I need to take a little bit better care of myself as well. Yeah, exactly. A, a quick refresher on the uh, first aid on, on the most common injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The teeth is number one, isn't it? I was talking to somebody who does uh, these um, uh, first aid training courses yeah. specifically for people on, on sailboats. And they said actually the most common thing is uh, more related to like gastrointestinal diseases from like cooking something wrong eating something yeah. bad not keeping up with hand hygiene because the conditions are well and then cooking food and all that so that apparently is the most common one usually doesn't result in anything too serious unless it gets really out of hand but uh yeah no i need to um to do that but i'd say it's, it's, look after myself a little bit like the boat <laughs> but, exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, the boat is your baby. Yes, it is. Well, it's easier. It doesn't come with any restrictions in what you're doing. And but I did have a I did have a, a doctor of a fellow cruising boat that went through my medical cabinet and told me what antibiotics are for what and that sort of stuff. So that's pretty good. So I have I have a I'm pretty well stocked in that area. I just didn't know which one to take. Now I do. Yeah, exactly. And were you able to buy the antibiotics uh, over there, or did you need a prescription back in back home, or how does that work? I kind of picked them up over the way. I don't think everything has been prescribed to me necessarily, but uh, so. Uh, but I, I do. Uh, I did pick up some in Spain. Generally, doctors aren't that happy to 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 give you prescriptions for something that you're, you know, against something that you don't have. But uh, every now and then you you find fellow cruisers that are, are doctors as well, and they realize your situation and they they um, help you out. So actually, mostly this community is fantastic. This, the cruising community is fantastic when it comes to that sort of stuff. Or start a boat project and they all turn up. You know, it's it's great. Actually, when it comes to medical attention or when it comes to boat work or, or whatever. You get better help from them than you get from any uh, any yard, actually, because there's always somebody who's had the same problem. <laughs> exactly, I was going to say they've they've already been there, or they know someone yeah. who's been there yeah. and done yeah. that. So, so, you must know a lot of people. Oh, you must have met a lot of people there who are also 
planning on crossing the Pacific. So are you planning on, if not buddy boating, then, you know, keeping in touch with them as you all go across or maybe meeting later or? Yeah, it's funny. When I say base camp, this is like Canaries, same thing. We're all lying there waiting or whatever for the right winds or whatever. Here we're waiting for a canal crossing and then we're all going. In the Canaries, there's a lot more of us. As a smaller commitment, it's the Atlantic. Sounds like small, but it, it's big, of course. But you can always turn around, go home, go back, go. Here, it's like a one-way ticket, I think. So the ones that are here, there's only one way for the people that are here. So, so I think... And, and so there's less here. That said, when you're in Marina right next to the canal, you can almost, you almost feel like everyone's doing what I'm doing and this is not a big thing, but actually there's not that many of us. That said, I joined something called the, uh, the Pacific Posse. Pacific Posse is run by some old, or some guy who's done this before or many, many seasons or whatever. And he's, he's, I guess, organizing it. So we're like 40 boats, I think something that are not sailing together, that's impossible. You, you know, if you left together, you'd, you'd lose each other for in, in, in half a day. You just go different speed in different direction. And you, you, so you're not going to see any one of us or whatever. But we all track each other by satellite. And the nice thing, I guess, is that there is a possibility to get some sort of help if something happened. I'm not so, so sure anyone should rely on that, but that's, that's it. We're going to leave at different dates and we're going to be, there's, there's, it's not a race. It's not like the Atlantic Rally for Cruisers or anything like that. But we are tracking each other and in some form of network. Obviously, I have a whole host of people I met on my way. They're on some sort of tracker that I, uh, I keep in contact with and I can see where they are all the time. But I think going across the Pacific, we're going to leave within a, month of each other maybe and there'll be 40 of us so some of them are going to be out there some of them are not so there is a uh, and which is important for me as a solo sailor not only for the help but you know as i said i'll be dying to meet some people as i'm coming in so it'd be nice to know you know there's somebody i know in that bay you know Exactly. And it's just peace of mind, even if, uh, you know, it may not be realistic for someone to come to your assistance right away. But at least, you know, no peace of mind having there are other people yeah. doing this. Yeah. Can't see them, but they're out there. Yes. And I, I guess we share thoughts on spare parts and thoughts on this and that and uh, thoughts on food and, and uh, uh, yeah. So and on checking in and, and uh, all the red tape that goes around this as well. Yeah, speaking of which, where are you planning on landing at the other end? Well, I'm not going to go to Galapagos. And speaking of red tape, that's probably the reason. I'd be sick of red tape after going through the canal. Galapagos, I find a lot of people fly there. Uh, it's easier. I sh I'm not knocking anyone going there. There's a ton of people going there. But you can't bring animals, not that I have any. You, can't, you need to have an absolute clean bottom. That'll be a spectre. You can only stay, I think, in three locations. You can't put your dinghy in the water. You need to do, use taxis or boat taxis everywhere. So there's a whole host of things uh, that I feel I could do without. I'd love to be able to get some fuel there because you're going to burn most of the fuel in the first week. But I don't think they're that happy with that either. So uh, I'm going to miss Galapagos. I'm going to go reasonably close if anything happens. At least I've got uh, an emergency stop if I want to. But the plan is to go... I guess just shy of a month or something straight to um, uh, Nukuhiva, which is in the Marquesas. So my weather writing things that I'm running every night now is telling me 4,400 miles and uh, 
between 25 and 30 days. For sure. Well, as we start to wrap up, I must ask you for any advice for any budding solo sailors, because I do get uh, contacted every so often asking me to talk to solo sailors, like, you know, talk to people who are doing it by themselves. So would you have any sort of generic advice to give to anyone who's thinking about like, oh, maybe could I, should I do this by myself? I don't think they should be scared of that. I don't think they should be deep sleepers. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess they shouldn't be deep sleepers. Is the, uh, they should be able to wake up easy and fall asleep again easy. They should have a long search for an insurer that is happy to cover them for that, or or be happy, or have a boat that they can afford to lose and just buy third party insurance because most insurance companies aren't all that keen on on solo sailors. Think hard about yourself steering understand the self-steering look at what can go wrong with that you know be happy to be on your own and be really social and get in other than that i don't i don't think there's any there's not that not that much difference i think in terms of doing it on your own uh, and doing it i think that's an exaggerated sort of um, fear or, or whatever for, for, for that so i don't i don't you know i never really thought of it as a as a big thing. Uh, and then you hear all sorts of people saying, Oh, I couldn't do it on my own. And I'm thinking, well, why not? You know, it's, it's, uh, even when you're with crew, if you're two, one is awake when the other one's asleep, it's not going to be a social experience sailing to, you know, sailing to like for like a week, two people, you know, you're going to be wrecked when you're together or one is. <laughs> and, and, uh, so I don't, I don't think, and it's the same focus, it's the same thing. So I don't feel there's any difference until something goes wrong. You need to have a clear thought of what I can fix and what I can't fix, I think, as well. I think things like your halyard for your, for your Genoa is a perfect example of something. The halyard for the Genoa, you never see. The halyard for the mainsail, you see all the time when it comes up and down or whatever. In terms of the halyard, you just roll that thing in all the time, whatever. That thing cannot fail. If that fails, the whole bloody sail comes down and somebody has to go up the mast in the middle of the ocean to retrieve that thing. So that thing, I would make sure that that Danima or whatever line you have is in mint condition and that it's got chafe protection and it's got all sorts of stuff, whatever, because that's one thing that you really don't want to have. You hold, you know, on the side and then you have no foresail across the rest of the of your trip. So I think go through things that you can't fix yourself, whatever, safely. And then things, systems that you just can't live without. But then again, you know, as a solar sail, you drink less water. So if the water maker fails, you'd be... So there's other things that are good. You know, you've got more food. You've got more space to store a spare part. Did I waffle? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're not going to get into any arguments about uh, how you're doing things. <laughs> it's all, all smooth. <laughs> so, that, I don't know. That, other than that, just like being with yourself and on your, uh, you know... Download some films if you need friends or, or to watch somebody else. Or other than uh, other than that, I don't. Yeah, yeah. And I have a have a satellite phone so you can talk to other people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you don't have to be completely isolated unless you really want to. And I think you're. Uh, you had a good tip earlier about like you know go long enough to actually get into a rhythm. Yeah. Like don't just do you know a day trip. <laughs> no, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Just be exhausted. Yeah, and, and and finally, most importantly, stay away from land. Stay away from land. Most people are worried about being being in, in, in total blue water in the open. I, I you know, land scares me a lot more when I'm sailing. Land means traffic, waves, fishermen, 
disturbed winds, catabatic winds, land masses sailing up. <laughs> Oceans, ocean sailing is fabulous. Exactly. Much less risk, you know, that that makes sense. Yeah, you're not going to run into uh, the same issues for sure. Uh, well, Thomas, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your experience and also uh, these tips for anyone who's maybe thinking about whether they should uh, be doing that. Um, I'll link to your blog here uh, in the description as well so people can go check and, and see how your Pacific Crossing goes. So best of luck with, uh, with both the Panama Canal and the uh, Pacific. Thank you, Annika. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Thomas and learned something new about the world of solo sailing. It was fascinating to hear about his experiences on the open sea, the challenges he's faced, and the strategies he has developed to overcome them. If you are interested in following Thomas's adventures and learning more about solo sailing, be sure to check out his blog, which I've linked below in the description. If you enjoyed this episode, Please consider leaving a review on your podcast app and share the podcast with your friends who you think might like it. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.